hominagog cancer in the arm. You know the story? And he didn't even want to treat it. He figured it's karma coming, some past actions, some past life. He didn't want to do anything. But his disciples couldn't stand to see it. So they called a doctor. The doctor said it's a pretty serious case and we have to perform surgery. So Ramana said, well, they're insisting, go ahead. <clears throat> so the doctor made all the preparations and was about to administer anesthesia. And Ramana said, no, not necessary. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the doctor said, I don't think you understand. This is going to be a very sensitive, deep, delicate procedure. Ramana said, they're insisting, you're here to do it, do what you have to do, no anesthesia. So, oh the gosh. doctor began the procedure. Now, the nerve impulses yeah. were still traveling through the physical brain, so the arm was twitching and all that. And as that was happening, Ramana, just like you in the room looking at his arm, he was looking at the arm and talking to it. Oh, look at what you're having to undergo. You must have gotten into a lot of mischief wow. in the past. <clears throat> and this is the result. Well, face your karma. Purge it out. And he wasn't affected because it wasn't simply an intellectual concept to mm -hmm. him. You know, we talk about realizing the self, abiding in the self, mm -hmm. but for him, it was his abiding experience. Mm -hmm. So, let's talk a little bit about karma. And she brought it up, and we were gonna go there anyway, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> of course it goes. of all of your past life karmas which you have no control over anymore. Okay. The okay, three types of karma. Erase what I said, totally. One <laughs> is what's called the sanchitta. And that is the accumulated karma from all your past births. You know how they say, you can't take it with you? Oh. That you take with you. <laughs> so there's the accumulated karma. What's the other kind? Uh, the karma that is um, manifesting in your life right now, the shot arrow. From the past. From the past. This is called the paravda. This is the inevitable karma that you have to face. And I'll explain it a little more. And what's the third type? Uh, the karma that you're creating currently. New karma that you're creating. This is called Kriyamana, also called Agami, A-G-A-M-I, and that equals the new karma. The classical analogy given to help understand this 
is an archer who has arrows in three stages. He has a quiver full of arrows. This represents the Sanshipta, all the accumulated karma from his past births. In a given lifetime, you do so many deeds, mm -hmm. and there are circumstances and the time to experience the reaction to those deeds. You have so many desires. There's the time and the opportunity to fulfill them. But there are a lot of unfulfilled desires and unfulfilled consequences that remain at the end of a lifetime. They remain in the quiver, your storehouse of karma to be experienced at a later time. There's good news and bad news about desire. <clears throat> the good news is every desire that you have will be fulfilled. If not now, later. The bad news is every desire that you have will be fulfilled. Wait, repeat that again? Yeah. Yeah. The good news and the bad news both are the same, that every desire you have will be fulfilled. Why is that good news and bad oh, news? Yeah. It's good news because sometimes there's frustration, you want something so much, you put in so much effort, and you don't see it realized. It will be realized, if not now, later. Mm. The bad news is, when it comes, the timing might be terrible. You may no longer want it. <laughs> Circumstances may have changed. I'll give you a simple example. I know I experienced this in my early life before I became a Swami. There were times in my life that I really wanted to be in a good relationship. And no matter how much I may have wanted that, it didn't materialize. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. <laughs> and then... See if you had this experience. I had this experience. There were times in my life where the last thing in the world I wanted or needed was a relationship. And one just sort of thrust itself upon me. And I, I couldn't avoid it. It was, it was just, it had to happen. So you want a relationship. It doesn't mean it's going to come at the right time. It's interesting. One of the prayers we do in our morning meditation, do you know the Om Karam chant? Mm -hmm. Om Karam Bindu Sam Yuktam? The English translation, um, how does it begin? I just drew a blank. Om United with the Source on which the yogis ever dwell, grants desires and liberation, salutations to the Om Karam. It grants our desires and liberation. It's very interesting. The Patanjali Yoga Sutras, he talks about Purusha and Prakriti, the self and nature. And it's interesting what he says about the purpose of nature. Well, rather than looking for the exact sutra here that I'm thinking of, 
it gives us the purpose of nature is both to give us experiences, fulfill our desires, so that we can learn from that and transcend. It's to give us experiences and then liberate us. But the thing about desire is desire keeps us on the wheel of karma. Because as long as we're creating new desires, we need more births to fulfill them. Desire is like an endless chain. You know the song, There Wasn't a Lady Who Swallowed a Fly? Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. Then what happens? I know a lady who swallowed a spider who wriggled and jiggled and jiggled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. Mm -hmm. I don't know why she swallowed that fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know a lady who swallowed a bird. How absurd to swallow a bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and jiggled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed that fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a cat. Imagine that to swallow a cat. The cat was to swallow all the others. I know an old lady who swallowed a dog. Oh no. What a hog to swallow a dog. She swallowed the dog to catch the cat, to catch the bird, to catch the spider, to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed that fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a cow. I don't know how she swallowed that cow. <laughs> she swallowed the cow to catch the dog, to catch the cat, to catch the bird, to catch the spider, to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed that fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a horse. She's dead, of course. <laughs> That's what desires are like. It's a perfect paradigm. One desire leads to another. So all the unfulfilled desires remain in this sanchitta accumulated karma. In fact, the word for womb in Sanskrit is garbhasaya. The word for that sack of karma is karmasaya. It's a similar word. It's like the womb of karma. And just like when you conceive a baby, mm -hmm. it has to be delivered. When you conceive a karma, it has to be delivered. So, you have your quiver. When you're about to leave the body, what happens is you drop the Anamaya Kosh. The rest goes with you. The pranamaya kosh, your prana, is used to build the body in the womb of the mother. And this, the mental accumulation, goes with you. That's why you're born with certain capacities, certain interests, a particular temperament. It's not newly created. It's been developed over eons, over eons. Okay, so at the time of death, that's what happens, and within you, all the desires, everything that's been unfulfilled and still waiting for an opportunity to express itself, gets churned up. And the strongest desire 
that has yet to be fulfilled, that's wanting the most to be fulfilled, rises to the surface, like cream rising mm -hmm. to the top. And it's like an arrow that sets the direction for your next birth. Your body, your lifetime, your parents, the country you're going to be born in, your environment, all that. And all congruent desires jump on board because they will have the proper field to express as well. And this constitutes the Paragda karma. This is karma from the past, like a debt who is, that is now be, being due to be paid back. You have to face it. Mm. Mm. And it's what you get when you're born. This is what you come in with. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes things happen unexpectedly, neutral things, great things, tragic things. Mm -hmm. People wonder, where did this come from? So, so that's like kind of you talking about if a child being born yeah. with cancer. Yes. Yeah. Why should an innocent yeah. child? That's the biggest question people have, right? Why mm -hmm. do bad things happen to good people? people. Why do mm -hmm. innocent babies? Yeah. I know when I was growing up, the thing that really blew my mind, one of the things that helped me to believe in mm -hmm. karma, and reincarnation. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that helped me connect the dots. It's a very tragic thing. Many women who were pregnant, I think it was for nausea, they were yeah, given this yeah. drug thalidomide. Yeah. Do you remember Northern that? Yeah. Some of you might be too young to remember that, but it was for a minor discomfort during pregnancy. They gave this drug. The babies were born without limbs. Mm. Instead of arms, they were like flippers coming out of the shoulders. And it like depended on what trimester the mom took it, what was missing. Like it was wow. so tragic. Yeah. It was, and there was. It was so widespread, and it it was so heartbreaking. And you saw that, and you asked, why would babies? Right. Right. Why are these babies selected for mm. this sort of tragic? entry mm -hmm. that will define their whole lives. So when I learned about karma, when I learned about reincarnation, I had a framework mm -hmm. to give meaning, to make sense out of it. I think that's what we all need. Yeah. We need a context to understand the world as we find it, such that we can retain our peace. Mm -hmm. So Parabta Karma, that notion, is very helpful in that regard. Okay? Then there's the new karma you're creating now. <clears throat> Kriyamana, Agni. So the Parabda is an arrow that's been shot. You can't call it back. The Agni is a new arrow you just placed in the bow. You can shoot it or not. Mm. You have a choice. Wow. So there's room for free will, and there's also determination. Both is going on. Wow. And doesn't that really puts gives an importance to your actions? Yeah. Like they're very yeah. what you're doing at each moment. Yeah. Gives a it's gives an importance to it. Oh, it's yes. a bigger word than importance. That's oh, that's that's it. <laughs> wow, that's really profound. So you see, you can't say, well, I can do it in this lifetime or my next. So you have a choice. <laughs> wow. You know, reincarnation was in the Bible. Yeah. And then it was taken out because the church elders felt if people thought they'd had another lifetime, 
They'd say, why not eat, drink, and be merry now? I can be good next time. Oh. So, <laughs> I think it was the Council of Constantinople that deleted wow. it. Um, I have a question, something Please. that has been bothering me in my mind. Um, I, I understand this concept of karma. When I see, for instance, what's happening in Syria, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. okay, why I'm not born here? Why am I yeah. here? Right. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. I, and then I also see that, um, so my question is, where is the line that, uh, between acceptance of that or, or, or the balance between accepting that and doing something you know, to help that? Mm -hmm. Am I going against the karma? Because I feel like we all have a responsibility. So maybe that the Great number question. three, the Kriyamana, Kriyamana, it's where we have a choice to do something yeah. to help. We're put on this earth with certain capacities. And we're all, you can say, instruments of the divine to manifest whatever's going to happen. So... If someone comes to you and they're suffering, you don't look at them and say, well, it's your karma, right. and walk away. Right. That's right. not the way it works. Given your capacity and the fact that they are coming to you, the universe is bringing you together, right. you have a duty to do all that you can to help. Okay. Like the locks and keys, when you see someone suffering, you have compassion. Mm -hmm. right? And then compassion should be put into motion, expressed as action. One of mm -hmm. the phrases of Mother Teresa that I really liked, she says, love is a verb, not a noun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Meaning, mm -hmm. don't say love and equate it with some sentimental feeling inside your head. That type of love doesn't really serve any good purpose. If you love, Express your love mm. through loving actions, through loving deeds to other mm. people. That's great. So getting back to free will and determinism, because this is one of the big, mm -hmm. you know, tussles philosophically. Swami Shivananda gives a good example, and Buddhadev gives a good example to explain how they play together. This is Gurudev's example. Picture a dog on a rope tied to a peg. So given the length of the rope, that defines the size of the circle mm -hmm. the dog can run around in. Mm -hmm. He's limited in only being able to move in that circle. But within that circle, he can lie down, he can dig for bones, he can bark and jump up and down. He has, he has full freedom to do within certain constrictions. So the circle defines his paravda, his activities, right. his agami. Okay? Mm -hmm. Master Shivananda's example. Every soul is like a farmer given a plot of land. The weather conditions, the nature of the soil, the size of the plot are all predetermined. But the farmer can dig it up, fertilize it, plant good seeds, weed it, tend the garden well, and harvest a good crop. 
Or he could just let it lie fallow and do nothing. And we see sometimes in life there are people who were born with great advantages mm -hmm. and they just fritter them away. Mm -hmm. They do nothing. And then you see people born, like Abraham Lincoln, in poverty and having to face so many mm -hmm. crises and tragedies. I mean, he had a nervous breakdown, his sweetheart died. He had, he, he lost, I don't know how many elections, and he just kept running until he was elected president. Mm -hmm. And the whole world looks to him yeah. as a, a model of a great soul. Started off with so little, but tended it well. Okay? But the idea is when you reach the highest samadhi, all those seeds of karma get scorched, get burnt, so they can no longer bear fruit. The parabda still is in effect because that has to do with the body and mind in this birth. So it's like a top, you know how you pull a top and it starts spinning? So the parabda is like the top still spinning and until this birth is over, it will play itself out. But like Ramana Maharshi, if you're abiding in your true nature, even if you have heavy karma that the body and mind must face, you're still in bliss. You're still in peace. Even Sri Ramakrishna, one of the greatest saints in the last century, he had throat cancer. Mm -hmm. Who knows why? Mm -hmm. These conditions come, the cosmic consciousness somehow knows what it's doing for each and every one of us. And I'll say this too. Some people's karma is more visible to other people. But this is my experience, counseling people for decades now. Everyone, absolutely everyone who takes birth comes with a certain, you can say, karmic dilemma or karmic challenges to face because each of our souls is like in a university. We're here to grow and learn. Some people's big challenges are on the physical level. They're more visible, maybe, to other people. Other people's challenges on the emotional level. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you this, people who have really serious emotional challenges, even they, though they may be less visible than physical, they can be much more mm -hmm. devastating, right. much more devastating. Other people don't have so much physical, emotional, they have financial. Mm -hmm. They struggle from the moment they pop out of the womb with poverty and survival issues. Others environmental, like the Syrian mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. They find themselves in a place of violent conflict. Mm -hmm. Everyone, some people have work challenges. Mm -hmm. I've known people, they can't find a job, they can't hold a job. Their whole life is like being buffeted around from one, one place to another, never finding that stability. 
Some people have living conditions problems. So everyone, everyone has something to rub up against mm -hmm. to grow. Mm -hmm. Everyone has things, karma that's due to be paid. They're paying back old debts. And what that does is it purifies you. Even though it's, it's hard to go through it, it, like fire, burns gold and purifies it. They say it's the fire of purification, tapasya in Sanskrit. Tapasya means to burn. When the suffering comes, our impurities are burned. And our impurities are on all the koshas. And when they're cleared, we experience that light within. we're all in it together. And to my thinking, this is where I landed some years ago. We're all here on earth to support one another through that process, through each other's mm -hmm. karmic challenges, and to help one another to ultimate freedom. I once heard someone say years ago that souls seeking the truth find one another lifetime after lifetime to help each other on this journey. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy who wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull, I think his name, you know that book, Jonathan yes. Livingston? Yes, yes, yes. Popular years ago, Richard Bach. He wrote a poem that I really liked. He said, do not be dismayed by goodbyes. A farewell is necessary in order to meet again. And meeting again, whether after moments or lifetimes, is certain for those who are friends. Wow. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Oh my God. Wow. It's, so, it's so comforting when you lose someone who's dear yeah. to you. Yeah. It's so comforting. And if you ever meet someone that you feel either a strong attraction to or a strong repulsion yeah. to, yeah. chances are very high that you've been together before. With the one. Any strong, energetic, because a negative, it's, a, it's the strong, energetic connection. Even if it has a negative in front of it, it's a strong, the past samskaras, wow. on an unconscious level, there's recognition. And sometimes you meet someone, and the recognition, you just remember them. It isn't like you're meeting them for the first time, it's like, hello again. Did you ever have that oh, experience? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've had it with a dog. Guess <coughs> well, what? So animals. Yeah. Animals. So that's like like sometimes where you're born into a situation where your parents are abusive. Yeah. And so that can be the negative, and you and then they're working out their karmic. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And there's individual karma, group karma, national karma, 
global karma. Oh. And I'll tell you another thing about karma. Everything begins with thoughts. And our thoughts, we know, affect our body. As you think, so you become. Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, homeopathy, they talk about negative thoughts affecting particular mm -hmm. organs. Mm -hmm. You all know about that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anger goes where? You liver. Know? Liver. We even say someone was livid. Mm -hmm. We know the connection. Mm -hmm. But we say they have a bilious personality. Mm -hmm. Very irritable. Sadness and depression? Lungs. Fear and anxiety? Kidney adrenals. So, but our thoughts don't only affect our body, they affect other people, they affect the very elements. The Tirukkural, scripture from South India, I quoted already a few times, says, this was an ancient time, so they speak about a village and a kingdom. In a village where the king rules justly, the rains fall in due season, and the produce is abundant. Mm. Contrarywise, where the king does not rule justly, the heavens dry up, there's famine in the land. Mm. And because our thoughts affect the very elements themselves, there's consciousness throughout mm. nature. And what we're seeing in the world today mm. is the reflection of our collective consciousness. consciousness. Mm -hmm. yeah. We spoke about this yeah, a little yesterday, bit yeah. yesterday. Years ago in California, in the 70s, we had major earthquake in Southern California, major fire, and flooding. And we went to Gurudev and we said, is this the apocalypse? What is happening? And he said, no. There's no accident when people misuse and abuse Mother Nature. This is the response that comes. Mm -hmm. That's what. Hmm. But the good news is, again, the law of karma is the law of ultimate empowerment. Mm -hmm. If the world community changed their thinking, the world would change. So collective consciousness is a huge thing. Huge. Yes, and that's why the media can be really uh, devastating. It can be a force for good or a force, a force for not for, yeah. good. Unfortunately, it goes toward the sensationalistic mm. more than the uplifting right. of humanity. Yeah. So if, if everything is in fact one consciousness, right? Okay. Why... Is, is the idea of uh, birth after birth, I'm forgetting that word right now for some reason. Uh, reincarnation. Reincarnation, something that happens continuously, uh, infinitely? Or what is the point of even the soul creating the mind to have thought patterns? Because it, it seems to almost set us back. What is the purpose of the what? The soul which is manifesting itself through nature or prakriti to even create the mind to have thought patterns because it seems were we ever karmic-less and then we created thought patterns which gave us the ability to think and then created karma? Is it all just like a game to evolve ourselves? Seems that way. Mm -hmm. 
When Gurudev's been asked that question, he says, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. You find that God. Mm -hmm. You ask him <laughs> why it's all set up this way. Right. And then come back and tell, tell me. me. <laughs> all right. I like that attitude. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the glaciers since you bring it up. Because karma has its root in the glaciers. Quick question about the uh, karma. I was having a little bit of trouble with Sanjita just... Um, Practically speaking, but I think I just got it. Um, so the inevitable karma that's what we're born into, we create new karma. And the Sanjita is why things happen to us, even if we didn't The Sanjita do. is the accumulated storehouse of karma from all your past births. Right. So, but practically speaking, how does that impact me in this life now? The Parabda. So you have oh, this huge, that colored that. Okay. So this is what you have huge amount of karma okay. accumulated. Right. A tiny portion of it is taken out for any given lifetime. I see. That's I the see. The rest of the sanchitta is waiting for, for future the next birth. Ah. That's why <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. we need to get out of this now. Okay. All right. Where does yeah. it Got wait? It. It's stored yeah. in your subtle system. So it's still in your... Yeah. And those are Ananda Maya Kosha, the seeds right. of karma. Those okay. are the seeds that burn away. It's that, that karma, the Sanjita karma that burns away when, when we achieve full... Yeah. But do you have to choose You get to choose at that point if you want to do, deal with that karmic or not. Because it will come back again if you didn't deal with it. Right? When you attain enlightenment, the highest enlightenment... It all gets burnt up. But I'm talking about when you come from accumulate, and then it goes into the part. I can't pronounce Parabda. it. Yeah. That's when it comes out when you can either choice, that's the free will, to choose to deal with the karmic, or it does come no, out. No, that's the this, new. This is going to happen. You have no choice. Oh, you have no choice. But you have a choice how you're going to deal with it. Oh. Like the farmer guy. Hmm? Like the farmer guy? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Got it. Okay. 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 There's always choice. Okay. This is what? Sometimes you can change external situations. Sometimes the parabda is so strong you can't change it. But you can still change your attitude or relationship to it. Mm. Got it. Okay? Okay. Yeah. So there's always something you can do. Right. There's always a skillful way to deal with it. Okay. You're never stuck. All right. That's good stuff. So sorry, you're like, <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're going to go to the Kleshas, but I have a special request, and I saw it on one of your posters to discuss um, Sutra one, uh, Book 1, Sutra 15 and 16, the two non-attachment ones. You know what? Let's do that. Okay. So... We get a little bit of consistent development here. <laughs> we said the essential philosophy is yogaha chitta vritti narodaha. If you restrain your mind from forming into modifications, you'll experience yoga. If you don't experience yoga, you're going to identify with the modifications and go up and down and suffer. Then Patanjali tells us, okay, I know 
saying control the mind is a big thing, but don't worry, there are only two categories of thoughts or five types of thoughts. So he makes it accessible. We have a handle on how to deal with it. Then in the next sutras, sutras 6 through 11, he goes through the five basic types of thoughts. Okay? Let me just briefly show you what they are. It's a brilliant way to analyze all the thoughts we have. If someone asked you, how many different types of thoughts do you have? Right. What would you think? How many types would you come up with? Too many. Hundreds. He comes up with five. And I'll give you a clue here of the logic behind it. And he's telling you this so you have a way to start observing and understanding your mind. You want to master the mind so that you can transcend it. To master it, you have to understand it. So first he says, you can look at your thoughts and see what's painful, what's painless. What is the fruit of selfishness? What is the fruit of selflessness? That's one way to begin to understand the mind. Not everyone likes to think in those terms. Some people are more cognitive, intellectual. So this is five distinct types. Okay. This is five types of rippies. Right knowledge, misconception, Rudadev's commentary says verbal delusion, other commentaries use other words such as imagination, or conceptualization. Memory. And sleep. Okay. Now. are the only ones that deal with external objects, sense perception. These deal with things that you can see, hear, smell, feel, taste. In right knowledge, the vritti in your mind correctly corresponds to the object you are perceiving. In misconception, you have a vritti in your mind, but it doesn't correctly correspond to the object you're perceiving. 
I'll give you an example. Years ago, I sprained my ankle real bad. I got up at around 3 in the morning to go to the bathroom. I'm coming out of the bathroom, and in the monastery there's a hallway with just a little night light on either end, so it's very dark. So it's very dim, I'm quite tired, and next to my door I see about a four-foot-long undulating snake, a big snake. And we do get snakes in the building every so often, and I'm looking at it and I'm going, what am I going to do? If I shout, I'm going to scare everyone who's sleeping. And I'm watching this snake right by my door, mm. undulating. And I watched for about five or seven minutes or so, and then I said, I don't care if you are a big snake. I'm tired, and I need to go to sleep. And I began to slowly walk up to the snake. And the closer I got, the less it was wiggling around. And when I got right next to it, it wasn't wiggling at all. It was a cane. In the few minutes that I had gone to the bathroom, someone up, someone else in the building woke up and remembered, oh, Kunyata really hurt her ankle. I just got a new cane. It was one of those wooden carved ones, you know, so it was like this. So to do a good deed, she left it by my door, not knowing she would scare me out of my mind in the middle of the night. So I was tired. It was dim. When I thought it was a snake, it was misconception. The vritti in my mind said, snake, snake. But in fact, it was a cane. When I saw it and recognized it as a cane, that was right knowledge. And this can happen in any sense modality. Did you ever hear this loud crying sound? And you go, oh my goodness, there's a baby in distress. And you find out it's a cat, cat. Right. outside. Right. Or something soft, again, a cat, let's say. Something soft brushes up against your leg. And you think it's your cat's tail. But it turns out someone has a pussy willow plant and they mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ran it across your leg, you know, things like that. So, right knowledge when we perceive things correctly, sense perception. Misconception, we're perceiving things incorrectly. And here's the kicker. You ready? <laughs> Various commentators say the major occupation of the human mind is misconception. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And this is due to two things. One, faulty observation, but more importantly, our interpretation. Mm -hmm. Because, now we're going to go a little subtle, we don't see things clearly. We see them as filtered through our mind. There's a Jewish scripture called the Talmud that says we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm -hmm. Swami Vivekananda puts it this way. And when I read this, this was a mind blower for me. 
Perception is like this. Some information from out there falls into the mind. And it's like an oyster making a pearl. Do you know how an oyster makes a pearl? Mm -hmm. A little bit of sand or a little parasite falls into the shell. And immediately, to protect itself, the oyster throws its own enameling around that, sort of like to lubricate it, to smoothen it, and that's what we call a pearl. It's a little bit of grit with the oyster's enameling around it. All sense data is like a little bit of grit falling into our minds. We never really experience that little bit of grit and understand it for what it is because immediately our minds cast their own enameling around it. All that we know, all that is knowable via the mind are the pearls that we ourselves create. Our universe consists not of what's out there in the universe, but of the vrittis in our mind. Mm -hmm. And our enameling is based on our prior past conditioning. Think of what conditions the mind. How, how, what, what conditions us as we grow up? Our parents, yeah. our culture, yeah. our environment. Mm -hmm. Every experience we yeah. have. <laughs> right. How can we do anything other than that? Because our brain can't teach itself. I mean, we're all here to learn. So, so some of your things aren't getting all the the right the enameling around it because we're believing and learning from you. But how can we do anything else? But when we see something go back into what we think we understand we it's happening. We can't, yeah. as long as that's why the whole game is to transcend the mind. Okay. Here's right. another analogy okay. that'll make it more clear. It's a good question, Priya. It's like we're all wearing a pair of glasses. Mine might be red rosy. Yours might be purple prismatic. Yours might be yellow concave. Yours green convex. We enter a room and I say, oh, look at what's happening here. It's definitely a red rosy event. And you say, I don't think so. It's purple prismatic. <laughs> and you go, ah, oh, you're both wrong. It's definitely yellow concave. And you say, what's the matter with all of you? It's green convex. So how does yoga help? How does beginning to learn about our thought forms and what's going on in our mind? We begin to understand what type of glasses we're wearing, oh, okay. the type of filter we're okay. seeing through. But above and beyond that, we get the tools to take the glasses off and see clearly. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. That's what yoga practice mm -hmm. is about. First, you understand, what is this? Everything is purple prismatic for me. What's going on? You say, hmm, everything's yellow concave for her. Hmm, what's going on here? And you take them off. And you see the truth. The Bible says, now we see through a glass darkly, then we shall see face to face. It's the same mm -hmm. truth. 
like looking in the mirror. You're seeing through a glass darkly. The mirror's all obscured. Then it's cleared, and you see face to face. Anyone ever been in a mediation? <coughs> Not officially, but with mediation. Like yeah, it's like a group of people. Or yeah, everybody's. Yeah, just even though if it's like a, the same experience, that everything's different. Mm-hmm. Like a witnesses of an accident or something. Yes. Oh, yeah. And no one's lying. Everyone's right. telling the right. truth. Right. 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 Everyone's telling the truth from their perspective. Perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason that most relationships have trouble is because yes. oftentimes you don't want them to be them, you want them to be you. Yeah. Which yeah. I definitely have problems with. Yeah. It's always the reflection. It's always projection, yeah. expectation. Understanding that there are other points of view and you might not always be right or your point of view might not always prevail and that's okay. Can you speak on right knowledge as a modification? Because if you're seeing something correctly. But it is a modification because there is a vritti and there are two levels. There are what are called Paramatikasat and Laukikasat. Those are the Sanskrit terms. Absolute reality and relative reality. So right knowledge, you're still on the level of relative reality, mm-hmm. of duality, of changes. You want to get beyond the dualities, hot, cold, up, down, pleasure, pain, praise, blame, loss, gain, success, failure to the absolute reality. So right knowledge, it's good on this level, but it's not the same as true knowledge mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, the the, that's the senses, that you're talking about the senses, because when we have the senses, the, they, say, like they say that you never make a business deal on an emotional level, okay. right? So it's the senses, that's what creates all the, the riches. I mean, really, it's how we... Knowledge begins it begins with sense perception. Not, and here's something interesting. Mm-hmm. To show how limited even right knowledge is, okay? when we talk about the absolute, we're talking about something that's unlimited, right? All-pervasive, eternal. Knowledge mitigated through the mind begins with sense perception. Mm-hmm. If we only have five senses. Right. And each one of them operates within a narrow range. We can't even hear what a, what a bat hears or a dog, a dog hears. Right. We can't see like a mosquito sees. If an alien 
from the planet Xenon, which, by the way, is my home world. <laughs> alien comes and has ten senses. Oh, no, that's a new subject. No, it's not. Just an aside. Ten senses. Uh, they're going to be in this room and perceive it in a totally different way. So all our knowledge that's mediated by the mind begins with sense perception. Five limited instruments. Who knows if they're functioning correctly? Even if they are functioning correctly, they have a small range in which they can function. And not only that, so that information comes into the mind, and then we all have our own conditioning that we glom onto that to begin with. So our right knowledge is a little limited in that regard. But it's helpful. It's helpful. I mean, on some level, the senses create the world we perceive. Mm -hmm. And then once we actually master the senses, physical reality, in a sense, can alter. Like you hear about saints doing like crazy people like walking through walls and stuff because they've mastered physical reality. (laughs) Yeah. Because physical reality is just a projection of energetic thoughts, if you want to call them that. Yeah. And our limited, I think, and our limited perception. Like you said, like nothing actually is solid. No. So you can walk through walls. Mm -hmm. Right. But we see it as solid because that's all we can see. Most of this is empty space. Mm. Most of a human being on a physical level is water. For what, what is it, 70% yeah, of us or something yeah. mm-hmm. is water. And most of that is empty space. <laughs> so what in the world is going on right. here? We're mostly <laughs> We're here, empty really. space. <laughs> Every atom is mostly empty space. Right. A tiny little bit of matter here and there. Acknowledgement of like a sixth sense intuition or something oh, like that. Like where would that fit? Well, the way Patanjali Patanjali gives three sources for right knowledge. Direct sense perception. And there you have to think that everything's functioning properly. Right. The external instrument, the center mm. in the brain. So that's one. The second is inference. Inference means you perceive something, and that's always associated with something else. So you see smoke, you infer there's a fire. That's also right knowledge. And his third uh, thing is scriptural testimony. And the reason that is given, and it has other interpretations too, is that Scriptural testimony is direct perception by sages and saints of the higher truth. So it is perception, but on that absolute Mm. level, being brought down in words to convey to us, to provide sort of a, a directional for us to go so that we can experience it too. Some other commentators not only is it scriptural testimony, but they talk about it as competent evidence, Mm -hmm. reliable information. I think intuition could Mm -hmm. maybe fit in there because it's your experience on your level of this, you know, perception of a higher truth. Mm -hmm. 
which sometimes is called extrasensory perception. Oh. Extrasensory perception, I think, is different than intuition. And in book three, Patanjali tells you all sorts of ways to have extrasensory perception right. powers. The interesting thing about Patanjali, he is a scientist, a scientist of the absolute, and he holds nothing back. Book one, he gives you the goal and the philosophical sort of big inspiring picture and the broad strokes of what needs to be done. He gets you inspired. Then in book two, he lays out a plan for practice. Then in book three, he figures you've done the practice, certain results are coming, certain powers. Mm -hmm. He tells you how to do everything, get invisible, clear audience, clairvoyance, float in the air. But then, in sutras 38 and 51, he tells you, don't get lost in this nonsense. Book three. Don't mistake the glitter for the gold. This is nonsense. And if you really want to be free, you have to renounce all that. You have to renounce all that. So the Buddha said the same thing. What did he say? To not get caught up in let go of all the powers, um, cities. Yeah. But he said there's one power that it's okay to have, and that was the power to teach. He considered oh, wow. that. A, he considered that a city. Interesting. Yeah, the, the power to teach Dharma. Wow. Um, so he said that's, that one's okay. <laughs> but all the other ones, like, you know, the walking through walls or, or flying through the air, it's, let go of those. That's, I never heard that before. Yeah. Should I share a personal weird experience? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Quick one. So my relationship to the cities. I had a conversation with God early on. I was talking, trusting something was listening on my journey. And I said, I know these powers are distractions. This is, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Don't distract me with that nonsense. Don't tempt me. I am not interested in all. All I want to do is grow in your service and ultimately to experience you fully. Don't bother me with anything that could sidetrack me in any way. But then I had a little, a little clause there. <laughs> if anything would ever be useful for me to have in your service, I accept it for that service, but as soon as it's done, let it go. Don't, don't keep it around, but if it's something useful, in your service. So that's the arrangement. <laughs> it's worked pretty well. But I'll tell you one thing that happened once. Patanjali gives a sutra about how to be invisible, how you disconnect light rays from the eyes of the beholder and all that. It's a very technical sort of thing. Well, once I served as director here in the 70s, and then I moved to Connecticut and then to Virginia. But at one point, I came back. After a number of years, I had many, many friends, many, many people I knew here. And I was going to give satsang, and maybe around 70, 80 people came. And that afternoon, I was out visiting with someone, and I got back late. So I had to get ready for the satsang. 
And back then, the lowest level was the reception area. Right. So people would come in there, then turn up and walk up to the temple. And at the end of the hall, where the, I guess the washing machines are now, <laughs> we had an ironing board and iron set up. So I got back late, and I had to iron my clothes for the satsang. So I'm down there ironing when everyone starts arriving. And they're walking right up to where I'm clearly standing there <laughs> ironing. And I quickly look up and I say, this isn't going to work. Because if they can see me, it's going to be all hugs and kisses and how are you and I haven't seen you in a few years. I'll never get this ironed and I'll never get upstairs. And I just said, I need to be invisible. And I'm there ironing. This really happened. And about 70 people, I saw them one after another, walk right at me wow. <laughs> up the step. Wow. One after another. I quickly finished ironing, put on my clothes, and ran upstairs. And I said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what. So... Psychic powers to a yogi are a simple thing. Mm -hmm. The problem for seekers on the path is we want to get out of the ego, get mm -hmm. out of desires and all that, and this just feeds it mm -hmm. on an even more subtle level. Mm -hmm. Gurudev used to say, now maybe you can't control your eating your desire for food. You eat a big meal, then you see some apple pie, even though you're full, you have to have a piece. He said, you get the powers, you'll smell the apple pie <laughs> down the hall in your neighbor's house, and you'll use your levitation powers to levitate it and bring it to you. <laughs> and he said, you can't even control your OSDs, OS, or OSPs, OSPs, <laughs> and you want ESPs. Oh. <laughs> I don't understand what's an OSP. What's ordinary sensory perception? Okay. And you want extra sensory <laughs> perception. Mm -hmm. So, and Gurudev had every power under the sun, and a few of the times he used them visibly, but he kept it very, very low profile. Once at Berkeley, in Berkeley IYI, I was living there, and he was going to give a talk in Santa Cruz, and the talk was at 7.30. It takes a good hour and a half, we used to do back then, to drive to Santa Cruz. Well, it was one of those days where we couldn't get it together, and we're finally ready to leave at 7. And we think, should we even bother going? But we were in our 20s, you know, mm -hmm. so we said, let's go, come on. We'll see him at the very end of the satsang. At least we'll see him, and then we'll get back in the car and come home. So we get in the car. It's after 7 now. It's around 7.15. We get on the highway, and this huge fog comes in. We're going now maybe 20 miles an hour. And we ask again, well, 
Should we go or should we head back? Because probably we're going to get there even after everyone's left. And we all go, let's go. Let's go. Let's go anyway. And we just started chanting. We were in this big van. We're chanting. And finally we get to Santa Cruz. Oh my God. We find the place where the program is. We think we're going to come into an empty lot. And it's filled with cars. We go into the hall. As we walk into the hall, Gurdjieff walks onto the stage. We look at our watches, and it's not even 8 o'clock. Wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and so at the end of the program, we all rush up to Gurdjieff, and we go, Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff, you'll never guess what happened. You'll never guess what happened. He's like, <laughs> Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, mystic Judaism, he used to go to a devotee's house, they'd get into his carriage, they'd start traveling, and they'd be surrounded by this mystical fog, mm. and they'd wind up in a short amount of time, not only hundreds of miles away, but hundreds of years in the past or in the future. Cloud of unknowing or some sort of mystical event. But to yogis, to great saints, this stuff, manipulating this stuff is nothing. It's trivial. We need to keep our eyes on the goal and what's important. Also in Book 3, Sutra 34, it says you can try to pursue the powers one by one, or if you live a life of purity, they will all come by themselves in the proper time. And then you'll be a good instrument. It'll be God's power flowing through you rather than you trying to use and manipulate God's power. Very different. Okay? So it really, what really strikes me is I've heard one other story about Gurudev mm -hmm. using his power, and it was also to serve his students. That were very very upset, and he says, and then your story too. You, of all these years, there was only one time that you felt it really was called for for service. You well, it's only what only one time sharing with you. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, okay. And no, I've had experiences, and other people I know have had experiences, but it's not even something you talk about. It's mm. like it's. It's like you're in it together with the divine. Right. It isn't, you know, and you're all working together, so it's right. like no big deal. Right. It's no big deal. Sorry. It's okay. For this week. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I get number two. Number three, it seems like it's related to number two. And I'll tell you the difference. Okay. I'll skip this now. I'm going to do these two and come okay. to this last. Okay. Memory. We sort of described yesterday in that everything we experience, when we're experiencing it, there's a vritti in the mind. After the experience is no longer current, that vritti settles to the lake bed, leaves an impression. Then, at some future time, for whatever reason, 
That impression can give rise to a wave that breaks on the surface. This is called a secondary wave because it's coming from within the mind itself. This is what memory is. Mm -hmm. Memories that occur when we're awake are memories. Memories that occur when we're asleep, dreams. Mm -hmm. Dreams are seen as patchwork quilts of former memories. Mm -hmm. But what this says, what's between the lines here, especially if you tie it with the karmic theory, each one of us has within a vast reservoir of knowledge from all our past experiences. That's not gone. It's in there. Mm -hmm. We, at present, don't know how to access it. But each and every one of us has vast knowledge from our own prior experience. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Memory, useful when we learn from past mistakes, when we recall information we need. Not useful if we daydream or try to dwell in the past because we don't want to deal with what's happening. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be an avoidance technique. Okay? Sleep. Yogis are fascinated by deep sleep. That's what this refers to. Dreams here. This is deep sleep. Deep sleep, there's only one vritti in the mind. Instead of the mind jumping from vritti to vritti to vritti, being all stirred up, one vritti, and it's the vritti of nothingness. So the mind is in a state of profound peace. Why is that a vritti? Because there's a thought of nothingness. It's still a thought. It's still a thought. It's still a thought. Thank you. It's still a thought. And I think this is why sleep on a subtle level is so restorative. Because for the average human being, it's the closest we get to resting undisturbed in the peace of our true nature. Mind is so still. The energy is not being constricted or dissipated by all the crazy thinking that's going on. Also in deep sleep, on a physiological level, the pituitary secretes only in deep sleep human growth hormone, which is needed for all tissue repair. They say that's why babies sleep so much, because they're growing so much. Mother, Mother Goose, wisdom on sleep. She says, this is from Mother Goose. Nature needs but five. Custom gives thee seven. Laziness takes nine. And wickedness, eleven. That's Mother Goose on the hours of sleep. Hours of sleep. Say it. Can you repeat it? Nature needs but five. Custom gives thee seven. Laziness takes nine. Wickedness, eleven. But of course, you have to adapt that to your constitution, your condition, what's going on in your life. 
Master Shivananda used to say, five for a man, six for a woman, seven for the ill or elderly. But again, he was in a culture that wasn't like what we're dealing with right. today. Mm -hmm. But I think we can all admit if we don't get enough sleep mm -hmm. or if we get too much sleep, the system isn't restored in a proper way. True. We're either deficient or we're sort of tamasic, lazy, mm -hmm. dull. Okay, now this one. Everything that doesn't fall in these four categories winds up in this category. <laughs> this, these two deal with correctly or incorrectly perceiving mm -hmm. external objects. In this, there's no external object. It's solely in your mind. Mm -hmm. It's like your imagination or fiction or planning, <coughs> philosophy. There's mm -hmm. no external object. That's why I don't like verbal delusion so much, because it gives it a negative yeah. spin. But even something like this, if you go, <coughs> I'm an embodiment of perfect health. <coughs> I'm an embodiment of perfect health. It's verbal delusion. Mm -hmm. The external object mm -hmm. is not manifesting it. Mm -hmm. But you're using the power of positive thinking to make this your reality. Yeah. We use this with children. What are ways we use this, Priti, in dealing with children? We write stories. Stories? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why not? Make a Santa walk come. Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is going to come? We should have a tooth fairy for older people too. <laughs> no, Anyways, you know, interest accrued. <laughs> <laughs> but they also have on the negative side too. What? Like the devil will show up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. or I was thinking too about what you said yesterday about anxiety, like imagining some future that hasn't even showed up yet. Exactly. Yes. Yes. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is correct perception, incorrect perception of external objects. This is recollections of things that happened. These are new creations new in creation. your mind. Mm -hmm. And then there's deep sleep. Mm -hmm. So he puts mm -hmm. all our thoughts with, under this umbrella. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's great. Right. Fascinating. He's just brilliant. Yeah. So verbal delusion is kind of like the future in a sense. Can be. Yeah. Can be. Or mm -hmm. concept, you know, when they created computers, that would be under number three. They came up to create a program or to create, Inventions. come up with a, with a computer, yeah. you know, the, the idea of something. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. creation. Mm -hmm. Imagination. Yeah. It's conceptualization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, how is this useful? Painful, painless, with the five types of thoughts. Here's mm. something. This is an exercise I sometimes give to people when they're in teacher training. And it's over several days. It could be a couple of weeks. And it's very profound if you do it. It has three stages. 
the first stage, every night before you go to sleep, you introspect, you review the day. And you have one column and on top, what disturbed my peace? Sort of dealing with the painful, painless type of thoughts. Mm -hmm. And again, non-judgmentally. Right. List everything that disturbs your peace. You do that for a number of days, and you begin to see where the weaknesses, limitations, trigger mm -hmm. points are in your mind. This is good information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This corresponds usually to the first stage in the way we perceive things. When we get disturbed, we're going, I'm disturbed because that happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, what disturbed your peace? Like, I can say, what disturbed my peace? I went to lunch at the ashram, and they served kale again. <laughs> kale. Sometimes when I travel, my hosts go, I wanted you to feel at home, so I bought kale. <laughs> and I try to be so nice and say, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so considerate and inside I'm going, I can't get away from this man. <laughs> so that would be on my list, for example, on a given day at the ashram. Yet again, then after you do that for a number of days, you add a second column. Mm -hmm. So, this time you have what disturbed my peace, how my mind reacted. Mm -hmm. You take it to another level in that the thing itself is now neutral. You're losing your peace because of your reaction. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it's shifts responsibility, mm -hmm. not on them, who, the kale, mm -hmm. but on me for having this reaction. Mm -hmm. And how do you react? Let me ask you, how do you react when your peace is disturbed? What sort of reaction? I get angry. Angry? Frustrated. Frustration. Anxious. Mm-hmm. All the above. Sometimes I feel selfish as well. Yeah. Uh, as soon as we are just, you, as things go along, I'm feeling selfish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You do that for a while and begin to get a sense of what are your mind's characteristic reactive patterns. Once you become aware, you gain insight on how you move through life, and you can see areas where you may wish to make changes. Then, this is where it gets really interesting. And this is where it can turn you upside down and inside out. It did for me. I, I create exercises. I do them myself. If I find them useful, I'll share them with others. This one turned me inside out. So after some time, same column. What disturbed my peace? How did my mind react? Third column. What is the underlying attachment here 
that made me vulnerable to losing my peace in the first place. That's really, that's really sad. And it can be even an attachment to a good thing. If we were yes. talking about the other day briefly, mm -hmm. as long as you're attached, you're fixed on something being a certain way. Right. As long as there's that fixation, you're vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you don't make plans, but it's the attachment that's the problem. Can you repeat that again? So what is the attachment underlying? No, what is the What is the underlying attachment that made me vulnerable to losing my peace in the first place? But that's getting down to the nuts and bolts. You go right down to the nuts and bolts. That's exactly what it does. It, it's like you're taking a, a, a microscope, and first you're looking at one lens, then you put on a stronger lens, then you put on your strongest lens. Mm. And you get down to the root. And you can learn a lot mm. about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a simple but profound exercise. And that really, to me, that really puts the responsibility on me. That's what? Mm. It's like, oh, it's my attachment. Mm -hmm. Yep. If someone else were here that didn't have that attachment, they would have experienced the exact same thing and their peace wouldn't have been disturbed. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> but this, so when you did that, so when you got to the, to, then really that situation just kind of unfolds. Like it's just, you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It, you didn't give any power, that's what I'm saying. And so it disintegrates. It doesn't immediately necessarily disintegrate, that's mm -hmm. one possibility, but I will say this, awareness mm -hmm. is the first step, because these things yeah. remain hidden yes. as underlying motivators mm -hmm. that we're totally oblivious to as we move through life. First step is awareness, mm -hmm. then understanding, mm -hmm. then with understanding can come release. It's a process. Right. There, right. there are no magic bullets here. But so much is hidden beneath our awareness. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you called it yesterday the light of awareness? The light of awareness? Yeah. Yeah, shining the light of awareness. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. <coughs> It's very yeah. empowering. It's very, yeah. It's, it's nice to have like a system. Yeah, and that feels really empowering to me too because if you, like your kale example, for example, if you're just like, I'm just at the mercy at whoever serves me kale, like they're in control, they're running the show. You know? And instead, you know, I can look at myself and go, oh, it's my attachment. So now yeah. I'll make a choice. Like, here comes this thing, you know, kale or whatever. Am I going to let it disturb my peace? Exactly. Yes. You know, almost, I can make a choice. Almost welcome it. Yeah, oh, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, bring on the kale. I can let's handle it. it. Yeah. 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 Let's juice it. <laughs> you could. Well, you can, well, you can try to visualize it. It's not kale. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's, 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 it's empowering. 
it's pistachio ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's superpowering. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yesterday when I came home, there was a pile of it was clean laundry, but it was bunched up. Yeah. <laughs> just on the bed. And this was after I had asked my husband before I left, make sure you take it out of the dryer right away so it doesn't wrinkle and I like, don't bunch it up. And it was bunched up. And I was really irritated. <laughs> but I thought, just mm, take a deep breath here. And um, this is an opportunity like folding. So I just meditated on folding the laundry yeah. and, and, and the irritation did go away. Wow. Yeah, it really did. I mean, everything that we've been talking about was fresh, so it was a little easier to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. 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 Give me a week. Like, okay, <laughs> it really works. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. Ask me this next week. And it's always the laundry. It's always the laundry. A Raja Yoga success story. You can testify. Thank you. That's really good stuff. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Want to take a break now or go a little more? I definitely need like five minutes at least. Mm -hmm. Little, yeah, little break. Yeah. If, mm -hmm. yeah. I guess we'll take. About ten minutes. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thank you.